Stewart and welcome back to a series of podcasts from Seven Vineyard that we're calling Encounters with God, uh, which is an amazingly ambitious title, isn't it? Amazing. Uh, this is what we're expecting as we go through a series of talks and talk to some brilliant people, hear from some brilliant people about um, their encounters with God and how they've seen people encountering God through the Old Testament. And today I'm joined by Rebecca Kishtaney. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Rebecca, you have an amazing amount of experience with uh, looking at the Bible. Can you tell us um, how all the journey that you've been on for the last few years and uh, and what you've been experiencing uh, with scholarship and looking into things really deeply? I've spent the last five years at Trinity. So um, I just had my valedictory service on Saturday. So that was quite fresh in my mind coming to preach on Sunday. Uh, it's been uh, a real weird mix of emotions kind of saying goodbye to that chapter uh, and also secretly really wanting to stay and, and planning ways to to do more in the future um but yeah Hannah and and Hannah was the first um character that I really spent a lot of time with in the Old Testament so that was one of my first um group uh topics in the Old Testament and uh, I had to write a theological reflection. It might have been an essay. Um, but actually, interestingly, as a consequence, one of the people in the group kept calling me Hannah. So for about the first year at Trinity, my name was Hannah. <laughs> and I just used to respond to Hannah because I'm not very good at correcting people. I spent a long time in a church being called Georgina. Uh, and when Adam came up to visit, I was like, they're going to call me Georgina. Let's just roll with it because I've been here too long. <laughs> So, um, yes, I, I really take on Hannah's kind of um, being and story. And I thought, actually, that's that's not a bad thing to she's not wow. a bad person to be named after. So. So does that stem back to the story that you shared at the beginning of your talk about naming a, a hero from the Old Testament? And, and, and everyone struggled with blokes who weren't really heroes and people who were you know or uh, might have done some big things but were actually a bit nasty or quite flawed and then you said oh what about hannah yeah. I, that story that's that flawed me that story the the response that you got to that when was that do you think that's where that came from then yeah i think so because i just wouldn't have had the confidence to um answer uh publicly to sort of put my you know two pennies within i i i probably suffered from imposter syndrome for the whole of the five years um and so it was just a natural like as they were naming all these men that you're like yeah no 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 I was then like oh Hannah. and it just burst forth like Hannah. um but instantly felt like oh I've I've mentioned someone and I've drawn attention to myself and wanted to internally just crumble um and of course, but actually it just sparked this amazing debate. So that was mm. my next teacher along coming back to the Old Testament again, sort of, but at a deeper level. Um, and yeah, that was, that was really fascinating. That whole module was amazing. And really looking at the context of the ancient Near East was I, like, if I got to go back and study anything again, you're like, I want to do more of that. That's amazing. Yeah. I just think it, it sets up how we, rightly or wrongly view God in the New Testament. And I think if mm. we don't do the work, um, all sorts of weird things just kind of creep in. Mm. Like what? Tell me, what weird things do we put onto God? So I suppose, you know, like the 
the heresy that still continues today probably is this kind of separation between like the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. And I think if you speak to most new Christians or maybe Christians who haven't spent much time in the Old Testament, they know it's not quite right to say, but they instinctively feel somehow this is a different God. I, you know, I think I sort of mentioned this smiter of armies, you know, it's, it's, it's somehow different to uh, who Jesus points to. And yet, of course, if we don't read the Old Testament well, then we don't understand who Jesus is pointing to and therefore what it means to unlock the Old Testament. So that's the big one for me is just like actually who is God? Because God doesn't change. God is consistent throughout the Old and the New Testament. Hmm. So it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think in the Old Testament, I think some of the memorable stories in the Old Testament are where things go wrong and yes. where there are disasters and famines and disease and and smiting as you say <laughs> but Hannah's an example of, of something going right I guess so what is it that particularly about Hannah that drew your attention to say oh no this is someone I would pick out as a hero I think the really unusual thing about Hannah is that we get to hear so much of her voice and her emotion and I think I sort of really wanted to pick out how unusual that is because I think particularly when we read Genesis and the stories in Genesis that kind of narrative is so short you know how much do we know about Sarah how much do we hear Hagar like not very much um, and particularly with women um, often we don't even know their name and they you know like Samson's mother plays a key role and is very much sort of linked to Hannah we know Hannah's name we never even know Samson's mother's name she's just Samson's mum and yet she dedicates him as a Nazarite for the Lord so I think it's unusual and and whenever something's unusual in the Old Testament we're meant to like tune in uh, Mm. and really focus and and hear their story and and of course we hear so much emotion and I'm very much a 21st century reader you know I want Mm. to hear emotion and I want to hear feeling and depth and we get to do that with Hannah in a way that we don't with many other women, I think, particularly in the Old Testament. Even, mm. even the guys, like, you know, we hear a lot about David, but still, you know, you're like, but what does this mean? Like, there's there's so much more, you know, underneath at play than we really get to hear. I, I think most characters in the Old Testament, particularly the guys, you give them enough rope uh, <laughs> not just thinking about David, but yeah, Solomon as well. Like, well yeah. the, the depths of Solomon's kind of blessing and how much he had, and how uh, all the opportunity that he had, and and then apparently just just sort of comes to a, a view on life of of meaninglessness and and or, or looking for meaning anyway, trying to work out where in all this stuff is 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 the meaning mm-hmm. um what's it what are your thoughts on, on where, where there are really sort of complex characters like that where what, what grabs your attention or you feel god's where do you feel god speaking I, I mean i suppose kind of linking that up with hannah as well mm. is that we see this um pattern at play so the heroes that we are supposed to uh or certainly in the ancient Near East, you would have identified obviously as the hero, um, clearly don't do things in the way they should with God's law. We have Eli the priest and and we hear about him and we hear about his two sons within the first five verses. We've got all these characters lined up and and we're trying to work out like 
who's good and who's bad. Like if we were an ancient Near Eastern listener, this is just what we would do. And it's written in that way to make us think, right, who's going to be the good guy in this story? And instantly you would think, right, Eli, he's the priest. Um, and of course, if we go on to the story, we realize, no, he's absolutely complicit. Uh, and yet here we have Hannah, who has given up all ideas of a son for herself and actually just wants, you know, and certainly in her song, we hear this idea of like justice um, and, you know, that there will be a Messiah to come who will put all these things right. Um, before we even hear really that Eli is complicit in doing things wrong, uh, that there is poor worship um, corrupt worship of Yahweh so I, it's always interesting to see who who are we supposed to side with and I think it's often easy to miss uh, in the story who is doing things right but also mm. that actually God is in it all above it all like working through it all and ultimately will will have the Messiah to come who will put it all right and in its right place. So whilst you have these kind of like, hang on, this guy's not great. This isn't good. God is still in it and using it to bring redemption and salvation. That's, that's his job, right? <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. So, so I think it's quite a contemporary question. I mean, it's a contemporary, it's a question that echoes every generation. Um, there are believers who would say you need saving, <laughs> And then there are people who don't yet agree that they need saving and go, well, what do I need saving from? Um, what was the thing in Hannah's time? What was it, do you think? What was the thing that people felt they needed saving from? So interestingly, there's a little clue in this kind of like what's happening internationally. So the wave that they are facing as a nation is the Philistines. So oh, yet okay. another army coming to uh, harass. And it's, it's very much... Um, something that uh, Samuel spends his life dealing with. But I think we're also meant to notice that, you know, what God wants first and foremost is right worship with him. And this is not what's happening at the time. You know, the time of judges, everyone does as they see fit. Um, that doesn't get people into good places. Um, mm. Who, <laughs> what is your overarching mm. um compass in that and if everyone is just doing what they see fit in their own eyes uh you come up against each other the whole time right um and i think that's a very contemporary issue for today and, and it's very difficult for us to as a society to say this is the big story we, we're done with big stories right everyone wants small narratives and their own small kind of i'm in charge of me you do me you do you so when you say like what do you need saving from that's a really big thing of like who do you want to give over to who do you want to surrender to who do you want to what big narrative do you want to kind of buy into um and and that's that was a live issue I think for Hannah um as much as it was a personal redemptive thing for her too um you know and I think that's what you see uh throughout the Old Testament is whenever God moves in this big way uh, it's always in the small personal redemption, uh, Ruth, <laughs> Anna, uh, Sarah, um, but it's always a bigger, bigger blessing as well. It's kind of a hinge point to the whole 
nation to be a blessing to other nations. So it's not even mm. just for Israel. It should always be beyond Israel's borders too. Mm. Mm. Complicated. This is what you said about, you know, everyone just did their own thing. That what well, that sounds like what most of us want today, isn't it? Isn't that isn't isn't that the ideal that we could just do what we like? Um, what was so wrong with that? And and what kind of what kind of challenge or maybe what kind of encouragement can we get from the Bible to say, well, actually, there's a better way. There's a different way of life that you might enjoy more. It's a really good question. It's always looking at those three elements that I, I think we see through Hannah's story of that personal um, bigger picture as well, that kind of national, international picture. And then like being right with God. We all face personal difficulties, don't we? Like Hannah pours out her soul, her heart's cry to the Lord. And that's quite difficult for a, a lot of us to do um, with ourselves, with anybody to be that vulnerable. Um, and here we have Hannah putting that in the right place, that actually God is a safe pair of hands to step into his presence and be transformed. I mean, I think most people are looking for that. I think most people are, if you look at the, the books and the self-help books that get sold, you know, people know their stuff or they're trying to work out their stuff, but then they don't want to just understand it. They want to be transformed from it, saved from it, changed from it. And that's what God does with Hannah. Um, and we would know that's what God does with us. Like it, when we go and put that, whatever that heart's cry is, I mean, Hannah's is I find particularly personal, but, you know, it could be whatever your heart's cry is, God is the safe place to go and step into his presence. And we really notice that the Hannah that walks in is not the Hannah that walks out. You know, she is nothing in her circumstances change, but she is transformed by that peace. And if we're part of the Anglican community, then we would be used to saying, you know, um, the peace beyond all understanding be with you. You know, this is um, what God does. Like this is yeah. this is what he gives us. So there's that personal element that I think today all of us are probably looking for and searching for. Um, and then there's the kind of the bigger picture, you know, they are facing an army and sadly around the world today, that is the experience of many. And we need to like bear that with our brothers and sisters around the world, like all the amazing things that are happening to welcome Ukrainian refugees today. But, you know, that whatever that wave of attack is, um, it's because we're living in a in a broken mess <laughs> mm. where we all get to do as we like and we see fit in our own eyes. And, you know, I would say the position we've got ourselves into, the, the particular mess that we're in right now is because uh, we've gone past big stories and it almost feels like that time of judges. You do you, I do me. We all just, you know, like try and work it out. Um, and I don't, it doesn't really work. <laughs> In the same way that Israel was like, we need a king. Like we can't keep just all doing what we see fit because everything's broken down to the point that even Eli there is, is overseeing corrupt worship of Yahweh. Like that's the first thing, isn't it? Like love the Lord your God and, and, it's all gone a bit horribly wrong and they are ready to kind of go back and say, look, we need, we need a King. We need a big story to, to buy into. We need one leader. We need direction. 
Um, mm. and, and that is intimately tied up with right worship of, of God, of course, for Israel, uh, which it might not be for us here in a, in a secular Western context. That's what Israel's crying out for. Yes, no, I, no, I can see that. And I, and I can see why there's a view to say that, that postmodernism is, is a similar situation to that. I think I might just push back a little bit from my point of view. So I was, I, I, I've, I've been educated in a thoroughly modern sort of expecting sort of way, but I also recognise from our history that where that has come to fruition through human authority, particularly in the 20th century, it's led us into nightmares, absolute nightmares of, of, of total warfare. And 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 I think the seeds of postmodernism go back before the Second World War. But the Second World War was certainly, a, you know, if we ever needed a demonstration of of, of the end result of modernism, uh, of, of of modernism through through human authority, um, yeah, why not push back against that? And if we've now traded that for a situation where it looks like we've got a zillion different angles and a zillion different truths potentially, a zillion different points of view. I wonder if there is still some redemption of that, some strength in that that doesn't necessarily have to be solved through human authority. You know, so everyone agrees with me and worships the same God and does the same thing. Is there another way that that we see potentially in? maybe in, in what Jesus has shared. Yeah, so I guess, are you kind of thinking down the deconstructionist route of church even, that actually, is that a is that a bad thing? And is there still redemption for actually not just buying into the, well, this person, this king, this messiah, this leader, this church leader says this, therefore we must all agree and follow them. And I, and I think that's interesting in terms of like the unity of the church, um, because, because actually, if we're not Jesus-centered and if we're not Jesus-focused, then it becomes exactly the same. We just mirror the society around us, right? So, yeah. um, absolutely. Uh, and I think it is about for all of us coming at that humbly with, okay, so what? What? Who is Jesus pointing to? And and again, that means we have to really know and understand our Old Testament to not separate these two. Um, you know, Jesus talks about some really difficult stuff. You know, yeah. we're, all, we're all like, oh, Jesus loves you in the New Testament. And like, there's this mighty God in the <laughs> Old Testament. And you're like, no, Jesus is quite clear about um, sin and life everlasting. It, you know, he is the truth. Um, and he is love. And he points to a God who is love in the Old Testament too. Uh, and where there are boundaries. And there are boundaries for people. And there are boundaries for the nation. And there are boundaries for how we treat those uh who are other than us and um it's there's some tricky stuff that we have to really come to and do the work on and really look at carefully and well with a whole heap of humility uh and god's grace to to really yeah work work at it and, and there aren't any easy answers yeah. um yeah, if anything, five years has taught me. <laughs> There's no simple, easy, trite, uh, crass answers. There are none. Mm, mm. But there's some beautiful, simple truth as well. Um, yes. And, and I think that's what we see in Hannah, is just this, like, actually, this this 
cosmic God, this, you know, this first time we come across Yahweh as the Lord of hosts, right? Heavenly cosmic armies. Um, it's also intimately concerned and, and listening to this marginalized, uh, oppressed, troubled woman, as she describes herself. Mm. Um, and he mm. redeems her and the nation, um, which I just like is mind blowingly awesome. Like it's, you know, God is so big and yes. so good and cares yes. so intimately and is in all the detail. Um, and and then also we have to kind of grapple with what it means for the narrator to then say it was Yahweh that closed her womb. Because how do we cope with that with healing and illness and sickness and disability and all sorts of it throws it just throws up all sorts of things that again if we don't really do the work in the old testament we just end up closing and going i just don't get it and it's too difficult and it's too hard and i i'm not sure who this god is and that i really want to follow him and i think that happens to you know i know personally of a lovely friend of mine who is an atheist has tried reading the bible because lots of people said well you know have you read it and he went well no <laughs> so he said fair point and he tried to read it from the beginning and I think got to Leviticus and just went no <laughs> and stopped I, I know plenty of atheists who, who are very uh, probably known the bible better than me uh you know have, have very very much studied the bible and the things that stand out to them may well be those really difficult things that they then interpret in a, in a way that's, that says, no, but don't you see how awful God is? Don't you yeah. see that God had closed her womb, that God was causing the suffering? The Egyptians would have believed the same thing. The Mesopotamians would have kind of like, you know, above Israel, they would have agreed the same thing, that actually, you know, birth is is central to your um, the fabric of society, and that's a, a blessing, and to, to not have, um, to, to not be fertile, to have any infertility, that's, that's just a curse from the gods, right? This is just, you know, the rain comes, the rain doesn't mm. come, there's drought, there's, you know, there's babies, there's no babies. This is somehow you've come against God. And we see this in Job, right? Job is doing mm. exactly the same thing in the story of Job. He's going, why have you done this to me? And and we hear his friends' range of views on this. You know, surely there must have been something you've done that you don't even know about you've done. Um, and we still get that in the church today. Job's a very really interesting book, isn't it? Because it's like a trap. The meat is in the middle. Yes. The, the the bit that makes you feel as you're reading it, especially if you do this horrible kind of verse, you know, a chapter a day kind of pace through the Bible, which is kind of like as much as you might cope with in a quiet time. <laughs> um, you've got to then spend like weeks going through Job and this awful nonsense. And you want to not think of this nonsense because we don't want to feel that we're wasting our time reading nonsense. But it's pretty obvious from the, if you look at the beginning and the end, that you're meant to realise that the middle of Job, the bulk of it, is nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and yet it sounds like wisdom that you kind of cut out and stick on your fridge. Yeah, yeah. And it is. I mean, it is it is a book of wisdom. I mean, it's clumped with the wisdom narrative, right? So it's not even mm. story. It's, it is supposed to be this, this book of wisdom, and yet there's so much uh, bad wisdom. <laughs> and Proverbs is the same. Like, I love... I've just the last thing I got to do was proverbs, and you're just like, oh my goodness, you know, you can have one proverb that says one thing, and and in the same proverb, in the same you know diagraph, there the, the second bit you've got something saying the exact opposite, and you're like, well, what? 
God, what am I supposed to take away from this? And God, what are you saying in this? Mm. And also, interestingly, there's loads of like uh, wisdom from other nations, from Egypt, uh, from Babylon. It's, it's like fascinating. Um, so, you know, is is God even saying that this stuff from other cultures that's based on, you know, other gods even is is bad like it gets to be in our book and we but then we have to recognize it and grapple with it and take away the goodness from it the co- understanding the conversation that it's in and the, the whole of the old testament is in conversation with itself and in conversation with its neighboring um religions and in conversation with the ancientness of its neighboring religions so there's there's like there's all these elements that it's it's wrestling with and grappling with and back and forth with that if we just read it flatly, we miss, um, yes. which is a shame. Yes. And it's interesting. It, it, it seems like very important to understand the understanding of people at the time whenever we read a story because God really seems to like speak into the Bible with a truth that is that we wouldn't have understood until centuries later yeah (laughs) you know so so we're happy to kind of talk about you know the the world may be made in this indeterminate amount of time seven days literally or seven stages ages whatever metaphorically we just don't know no one's got no god didn't say actually it was billions of years because no one needed to know that um no one needed to know i mean you could argue that people might it would have helped for people to have known certain things and one of my favorite science stories um and and a thing that i think like blows up the whole understanding of human identity um was um the, the the fact that until the 19th century people assumed that human identity was more or less entirely carried by men from man to man um by whatever mechanism whether it was like a little teeny tiny homunculus human or whatever we, we saw it like seeds from men being planted in fertile ground in women and therefore if you had a son hooray your your family line would continue your identity would pass on mm. and and if you had a daughter well sorry uh, you know you can accommodate someone else's family line but your family identity you know we just can't see the mechanism for it mm. now weirdly a guy do you know the story about how a, how a monk um that basically used technology that anyone could have done in the whole of human history. Um, Is this Gregor, the Men- Gregor Mendel with peas. Yes, yeah, um, peas, yeah, yeah. Peas. He just counted peas. He he deliberately crossbred peas to see what kind of characteristics they would have, and and then we have genetics, mm. and 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 it's from that that we realise, oh, actually, men and women contribute equally. Mm. Men and women have an equal contribution to make to human identity so why did we have patriarchy again yeah <laughs> why didn't god tell us thousands of years ago actually the way i made you was not at all like what you thought 
It was like this. But he he does, right? That's the amazing thing through the Old Testament. He comes in and speaks to a patriarchal society, but he is absolutely disrupting it all the way through. And and mm. and we have to listen well to hear and see that in the Old Testament because it's easy, like my lovely friend, my lovely atheist friend, to just pick it up and go, Oh, God says a lot of awful stuff. And you're like, God doesn't, people do. And God is doing something different and new throughout this all the time and I and I think that's um yeah that just comes down to how 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 willing we are maybe of course it is a work with the Holy Spirit when we pick up uh, any scripture you know um how open we are to that to be to read it well and to hear it well and to really seek God in that um and his his voice in it that's very powerful, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think we're recognising that there's a whole load of stuff. What strikes me in all this complexity of things that we've been talking about is, is, is how we recognise, I think, that God comes into difficult, difficult situations and he comes into complex situations and things where we don't understand most of what's going on in the world. But through Hannah and through Jesus, I think he, th- there's this sort of actually very simple doable thing like a, a a followable path to redemption where we can realize like quite what you know more of what we have so jesus calls people simply to you know repent like live start a life of rethinking and and and, and following him and and hannah demonstrates that in practice by simply taking herself to god and going actually there's something i need that i haven't got and I, and I want to bring myself to you and and could you bless me is that an oversimplification or no it's a it's a beautiful simplification isn't it and i and i think this is what i wrestle with continually particularly with wanting to uh preach the gospel well like when you know there's a whole heap of stuff and you can't even begin to explain blame none like none of us have the language to even begin to unpack who god is so we're just you know god is a bit like this and a bit like this and a bit like this and of course jesus shows us that in his stories and says some of you will get it and some of you won't (laughs) i've made it a bit complicated you know and the kingdom of heaven is a bit like this and a bit like this and a bit like this um and yet we just get to go oh okay and we can be like the disciples in our like total um (laughs) inability constantly to get what's going on and still he uses us and i and i think that's my um uh i think phew okay i can i can be like uh simon peter and i can um be confused and not quite get it um and then we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes and does what Holy Spirit does. And suddenly he'll transform um, my blithering into some kind of sense, hopefully. <laughs> That's, you know, um, and and he'll do what he does with that. And, he'll, and it's up to him to grow the church and it's up to him to grow us. We just have to feed and water each of those seeds, right? So the growth isn't even down to to you or me, and I I find that um, 
infinitely comforting because it's mind-blowingly crazy and simple it's kind of, you know, the Lord of hosts is the Lord of hosts in this cosmic way, in this very earthly way, like angels, stars, angels, humans, and then even down to the molecules, like the, the host within us, right? They're like every little molecule being. So it's this huge picture that we see of, of who God is when we call on him as the Lord Almighty, the, the Lord of hosts. Mm. He's big and tiny and simply just do what Jesus did. Do your best to do what Jesus did and, uh, and Holy Spirit does the rest, I think. Oh, I absolutely love that. I'm just imagining a situation, if this is possible to imagine in church or between churches, where two Christians uh, who both love God and both want to follow God actually end up sharply disagreeing about something about about some 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 hot issue. I remember that we were both in a seminar a couple of weeks ago, and what we heard I think was probably very different. We had quite different experiences from the same seminar, uh, which was about issues of 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 um, uh, gender identity and and things that that we you know, may, may struggle to understand or, or, or get to grips with. And I think it's true to say that some Christians are quite polarised on this. Now, what would you suggest, given that we've we're actually, we, I think we've talked about how God can kind of maybe, how, how God can maybe cut through, God can maybe do something in these situations to bring people together. But what do you think's our role in that? If we disagreed on something really sharply, but we both believe in God, what do you think's the best way, we, best things we could do? I think there you have church, right? This is my, this is the, this is the other thing that's been knocking around my head for five years. Like, what does it actually mean to be church? And church shouldn't be a, a club that I feel comfortable in. It shouldn't be full of people that look and think like me. And if it is, get out. <laughs> would be my, would, that's probably not a good and healthy place for you to be. It's certainly not one that I want to lead. Uh, it, sh it should only be, and you have to come to the New Testament for that, um, because it should only be where we have Jesus in common. But also, for, almost in a molecular level, like um, if we are, you know, in the blood of Jesus, like that's what the New Testament says, right? You are now my brother. I am now your sister. We are covered in the blood of Jesus. Like that means that we are family. It means, as we see throughout the Old Testament, family is dysfunctional. <laughs> family doesn't get it right. Family argues. Um but there is a bond where it's just that we have Jesus in common um, and we are meant to be shaped by each other and by Jesus. Um, and we, again, we need humility and grace. We need to listen well to each other. We need to bear with each other. We need to bear each other's burdens. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely, um, I think the key, and again, in terms of like, what does society want? Well, well, we mirror and reflect what society is going through. And can anyone debate anything now? Well, no, it seems to me. Um, and so the church really should be at the forefront. We do have an answer to this. Um, it's not a 
it's clearly not a body that agrees about much other than Jesus. And that should always be the, this is the, where we come back to. This is where in the presence of God, we bring our burdens. This is where in the presence of God, we bring our conflict with each other, right? Um, mm. Yeah, so that's, and we should be transformed by that. Like Hannah, going into the presence of God, we shouldn't be the same person that comes out um, if we're willing to do that and take it there. Um, and maybe we need to do that together. Like if we have differing, so polarized opinions that this is this is what church should should be, and not just on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, that's that's my personal kind of take on it, really. And there are some people that have written amazing things like that. So uh, I would, if I was going to point anyone in direction of anything to read, it would probably be Bonhoeffer, another great hero, uh, Life Together. I, go read that, and you're like. Yeah, this is this is what it means, uh, and really in in a very real, difficult context, you know, of the Second World War and Germany and all, you know, all of that. It there's no fluff. This is real meat um, to kind of mm. get your teeth stuck into. Brilliant. We may just end it there. I, it happens to cross over with something I was just thinking about, praying about actually quite a lot this week. So I don't know. This probably I'll probably need to edit this out because I think ending with your thoughts probably much better. Um, but a, but a, I couldn't get to sleep the other night. A picture just sort of sort of I had that one of those weird nights where I wasn't sure whether I'd slept or not. It just felt like a big kind of prayer and download download. So, you know what I mean? That was exactly the word I was going to use. Um, uh, and 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 it was around the issue of. Um, just spirituality in general and what that is and like how we feel the connection with things that are much bigger than we are and yet we might not feel that we will we might just have that in a very some people i think have that in a very broad and hard to define sense uh and and i think most of us in our society we try and process it individually like what is my role in something where am i what's it what is my purpose and and i think when we read about um sometimes when we read the bible and we read about if we get if we go enough through romans uh that we get as far as chapter 12 and we read about the you know the mind of christ and or, or knowing god's will rather his, his his will and and paul writes elsewhere about the mind of christ as well the, the thing that we sort of might aspire to to share in i think i've been guilty f for 50 years now of of misinterpreting that as if it was I individually need to think like Jesus and and that we're all individually this is you know God's plan for us is all individually to be little Jesuses whereas actually <laughs> he, I think he's always planned a collective um few, uh, body for us which we already have uh, but we but but we don't yet share the mind of Christ in that in that when we disagree on things when we look at things from different angles we don't process it with his mind we try and just process it with our minds but our minds give us a clue I, 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 this was the picture that came to me of like like how this works if you just stick your thumb on your nose like that and you look like my my left my left eye says i have a thumbnail and my right eye says i don't i have two very different views of my thumb <laughs> um but if i use both eyes together 
it's not an argument. I don't even think about it. It's like, I see a thumb that from one angle has a thumbnail and from another angle doesn't. It is one thing. It is, you know, it is not having an argument about whether there's any absolute truth about thumbs, whether we've given up on that because we're being so subjective. No, I just happen to see it in greater depth when I look at it from more than one angle, when it's quite close up. And, I, and it struck me that actually, spiritually, has God equipped us to do this and and be, look at things from different angles? This is a, this is my re attempted redemption of postmodernism as well. It's like actually we can look at things from knowing that we each have a different experience and a different way of looking at things and different values that will attach to things, and that's okay. In fact, it's vital if we're going to have a, a depth of understanding of something. It's vital that I don't just listen to people that I agree with. It's vital that I hear from someone else that I really don't agree with and sees it differently. It, uh, but we only gain from that if, if we can process it together the same way our brains process the left and right eye together with a with a mind that that just brings them all together and 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 is that the mind of christ is that what the mind of christ is for because the mind of that's that's a trinitarian view right this is this is who god is and you have that mutuality that that relational we have a relational god so of course when he calls us into the mind of christ we have the same mutuality right that it's no longer about me and I and it is always about us and we and that's that is absolutely uh why the Holy Spirit goes and plants churches <laughs> they're not you know that's not a, a Sunday comfort club or a Sunday mm. social club it's it's absolutely to do this discipling together and be formed and transformed and sharpened together and had the edges knocked off us and I have places where we're going to get things wrong, places where I know I am going to come and I'm going to hurt somebody and I'm going to have to own that. I'm going to have to go and seek forgiveness for that. Um, but that means that I have to be willing to submit. It's a word we don't like today. Um, and that's hard. <laughs> mm. In the same way that Hannah surrenders. Right? Mm. She goes mm. and she surrenders. This is no longer about her. This child that she's crying for is no longer has any benefit for her. Mm. She gives him as a Nazarite. This is not. Mm. This is not going to be a child that looks after her in her old age. This is not mm. that she even gets to comfort beyond the age of two. Like I mean, I I can't um, having experienced some minor child loss, having having had the the wonderful blessing of having had three children. I can't imagine having to go and give them away at three. Like that must just be, I can feel it now, like gut-wrenchingly awful. Um, and yet it's no longer about her. This child is not about her. This is about surrendering to God. Now, God does bless her with more children, we find out. But actually, she, this, her prayer, her vow, it is a total surrendering to God and that's the place we have to come back to time and time again because when we surrender to him we are ready to be for the other right so it's this way and this way it should transform how we are with each other so what we're talking about what you're talking about here what i'm hearing you talk about is isn't something about let's identify 
the best human authority we can, the best church leader we can find and do everything, you know, because they've probably got it right. It's much more, let's, let's recognize that we're part of something even bigger than that, that, that God is going to have, going to keep speaking more into. And it will involve maybe a surrender of, like, like, of, of, of part of what we felt we were, that we wanted or entitled to or needed. Yeah. But, but what do we gain? Yeah. Loads. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, what does the old adage say? If you found a perfect church, leave because you're about to ruin it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is no perfect church and, yeah. and, and we have a place. There is a place for us and we are supposed to bring all of ourselves in that. Mm-hmm. And we are needed. We're needed to be part of this body. Um, and, and yet we need each other. Um, and if one of us is missing, then something is is not right. And if we're not bringing the whole of ourselves, warts and all as well into that, then, you know, if we're hiding some of who that is, um, that's also not going to work. Um, oh, yeah, I could, oh, I could go on all day about. <laughs> I feel that we've covered a lot of ground, maybe more than either of us were expecting to when we started off to have a chat about Hannah. <laughs> and, and 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 I want to thank every, everyone who's listened to this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for sticking with us on this on this journey that we that we've been on that we're still on. Uh, but we're going to stop this conversation here, I think, because because it's lunchtime for us. It is where I am anyway. And uh, and and you probably need to get your ears back uh, as you as you're listening. So thank you for thank you for being with us. Uh, Rocky, is there anything else that you'd like to share or, or um, ask ask listeners to think about? No, just uh, I think at the end of the or somewhere in the talk yesterday I was saying just just go away and kind of read carefully and, and thickly and really look at the detail. So just do that um, and 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 ask questions of it. And you don't even necessarily need to go and find answers, but just ask the questions and pray the Holy Spirit does the rest. Yeah. Amazing. Let's do that. And uh, and thank you for listening again. We'll be back next week. Uh, I think Dan's going to chat with me. I'm going to be the guest next week because I'm because uh, I'm going to be starting um, reading. Well, actually, not reading through. I'm going to listen through the whole of the Old Testament. I'm going to try and do that over a hundred days, and uh, and see uh, see how that works. I reckon it's forty minutes a day. I've just been divvying it up, and uh, and and I will talk about why I I, I want to do that and and how it's feeling and what i'm gaining out of it or, what, or finding difficult i'll talk about that next week so um so if you can join us for that i'll see you then bye, bye.